You're listening to a series of historical podcasts from Sandvik on founder Joran Fredrik Joransson and the company he created. My name is Phil Etheridge. And my name is Karina Dahlberg. Episode 2. A new factory and a new town. In the first episode of this podcast, we looked at Joran Fredrik Joransson's life from his birth in 1819 to his career as a trader in the town of Jävla and up to the point where he acquired the patent for the Bessemer process for producing steel from Sir Henry Bessemer in England. Fredrik, as he was called, was keen to start a new company producing steel in large volumes and he needed to make the Bessemer process work in practice, which had not been done successfully up to then. The year was 1858, and while Frederick Joransson was struggling to build a new company with various partners and financiers, Charles Darwin was reading his paper on evolution to the Linnean Society, fingerprinting was used as a means of identification, and the can-can was performed in Paris. Meanwhile, Frederick experimented with the Bessemer process during the first half of 1858. This was done by Joransson himself, together with a few engineers and foremen, even though he had no formal education in metallurgy. It's said that if he had been an engineer, he would most likely have given up. But against all the odds, he finally succeeded with the process and achieved stability in manufacturing good quality steel. Frederick became the first in the world to apply the process on a practical scale. Yes, in July 1858, just a few days after the first Bessemer process success, he traveled first to Hamburg in Germany with some small samples of steel. In a letter home in August, he mentions that a knife has been made from his samples, at least as good as the best English knives. After Hamburg, he continued to England, where he again met with Henry Bessemer. He managed to convince Bessemer of his success with the process and negotiated the right to sell his steel in England. And production continued in Esken. But he needed to expand as both the Hergbull and Esken locations were far too small to support his vision. The location he chose for the new factory was at Sandviken by Lake Stuhuern, where there was a very nice sandy beach by the huge bay. There was only one small farmhouse there at that time. The railroad between Yevla and Dalakalia, which passed right by Samikin, was completed in 1859. So communications were also good, and that was an essential. Well, Frederick was the life and soul of the new company, and he also moved his family to the manor house in Högbo, five kilometers north of Sandviken. It was impractical for them to live in Gävle when the new company was 25 kilometers away in Sandvik. And the family accepted that. But life had anyway changed when Elvstrands, the trading house where he was manager, went bankrupt. There was a social stigma attached to that bankruptcy, which was probably good to get away from. Frederick was now 43 years old. He was very talented. He had enormous energy and a clear head, but he also had a warm and understanding heart, despite his occasional hot temper. Mm. How did that understanding show itself? Well, what's interesting is 
that he wasn't only concerned with technical progress. Very early on, he understood that to attract workers to Sandviken and a new company, uh, he had to have somewhere to live. Uh, they need, sorry, they had to have somewhere to live and that life outside of work also needed to function well. So the company built houses for the workers. It was quite luxurious accommodation for its time, with both a room and a kitchen, and they even had a garden. Mm, that was quite something, really. Yeah, the company's social services also grew early on, and they saw to it that there was health care and even schooling for workers' children. Mm. I've seen some photos of the very first buildings put up as living accommodation, and I thought it looked pretty rough. But, uh, of course, it, it got better over time. But I was intrigued to read about the school and how quickly that came about. I'm sure that many of his ideas were controversial. But as the number of workers grew, so did the number of children. There was also a law from 1842 that all children must go to school. And the company took the responsibility for education in Sandviken. Fredrik was smart uh, and I'm sure he calculated that a well-functioning municipality would help to keep his workers in Sandviken. And educating the children would also give him an educated workforce after a few years. Mm. Which doesn't sound like a bad idea. But there was no school. How did they solve that problem? Uh, well, the first school in Sandviken was in one of the few existing houses, as you mentioned before. Uh, Las or Las Gordon by the Lake Storsjön, which had a room big enough to use as a school hall. The first school teacher was a tailor, and after that it was a soldier, as proper teachers were very difficult to get hold on. As they are today, I should point uh, out. <laughs> yes, the school was closed for a time when the company wasn't doing so well, but when it was reopened, they actually could hide the first head teacher lost Tisklin. He was originally a blacksmith and self-educated, but it's said that he had a real talent for teaching. The children were taught history, geography, natural science, and even learned to sing harmonies. One story I read somewhere is about Frederick walking around the housing in Sambikin inspecting the pig's thighs. Uh, every family had a house pig. Absolutely, or almost every family had a pig. And Frederick would walk around on uh, the weekend inspecting the pig uh, styes. He would stick his cane into the ground in the sty and look at the tip. If it was dry, he was satisfied. And if it was wet, he would, well, become very unhappy. He could actually get quite angry about that. And that was something people tried to avoid. Mm, I'm sure they did. Frederick was commuting the five kilometers to Sandviken from their house in Hogball every day. I'm sure it was probably quite nice to do that in the summer, but less nice in a snowstorm. The winters in this part of the world are long and cold, and six months of very cold weather is not unusual, as it hasn't been this year in particular. Yes. He's got tired of doing so to go back and forth every day. So he had a house built in Sandviken. Uh, but Betty didn't like the isolation of Sandviken as there was nothing 
here to begin with. So it took a while before the family moved. In the end, they had to move away due to the bankruptcy of Högbo Steel and Ironworks in 1866. Mm. And meanwhile, that first year, 1862, was all about building. There was no factory in Sandviken, so that must have been a huge undertaking. Well, in March 1862, while the lake was still frozen, the workers could transport stone from the islands in the lake for the factory foundation. And when summer came, uh, they even started digging a canal from Jädraån River to the center of Sandviken. They needed water to drive the machines, as this was not yet the age of electricity, of course. But the weather was, by all accounts, good during that summer. And by the end of 1862, the main factory building was standing, and even a couple of furnaces had been bricked up. Uh, The company had more than 300 men at work during that period, which meant rapid progress. But the biggest problem was to get production going, and there were constant delays. There was not much money coming in, just a lot of expense. That was a very big problem. During the spring and early summer of 1863, the startup in the factory had to be put back several times, a week or even a month at a time. There were late deliveries of machinery, parts that didn't fit together, or which broke when they couldn't take the strain they were put under. Sometimes they were even told that parts couldn't be delivered in time because they had no previously been made. It was a frustrating time and caused a lot of irritation and stress. But finally the new factory in Sambican could start production, even though it was much later than planned, and the Bessemer process was also running regularly by the end of August in 1863. Production of the Bessemer steel was a very important part of the process, but it wasn't the only part. Some of the biggest products manufactured in the new factory were crankshafts for ships and the wheel rings for railway carriages. To produce those wheel rings, they needed quite a large machine park, including a rolling mill, a lathe, and a steam-driven hammer made in Leeds in England, which had a 15-ton drop weight. But that massive, expensive hammer gave Jørgensen a very good edge over the competition. Is that the same hammer that we have out in the park outside? Yes, that's the hammer we have in the park. Okay. Uh, It was by far the biggest steam hammer in Sweden at the time, and quite famous. In fact, it was the second largest in Europe. Only Krupps in Germany had a bigger one. And Jöransson's strategy, right from the start, was to sell as refined a product as possible. Fredrik was not at all interested in selling his steel ingots. He had good equipment, especially the hammer, and made far more sense to sell a refined product that he could maximize his turnover. He also wanted to control the supply chain. Yeah, and Frederick's 18-month trip abroad when he was only 19 gave him a taste for travel and very much broadened his horizons. Working for an international trading company like Elfstrands meant that he made a lot of contacts and friends outside Sweden, which helped him when he got started with a new company. He was able to uh, quickly put a number of European sales, sales agents in place. 
Frederick had no problem finding agents to work for him around Europe. He had gained a reputation when he succeeded with the Bessemer process, and at the same time, he was always keen to make new contacts, and some of these even became personal friends. Mm. Schmidt in Hamburg, for instance, was an old Evstern contact with, uh, which he took with him to the new company. And Frederick, uh, Frederick's older son, Anders Henrik, even spent trainee time at the Schmidt Hamburg office. Schmidt, uh, in turn, established their own agents in Berlin and uh, Stettin in Poland. But agents were often personal contacts made by Frederick himself. Mm. One nice example of that was on a trip to Paris via Hamburg and Cologne in 1869. There was a chance encounter that came to mean a lot to the Jørgensen family. Yeah, Frederick was on the platform waiting for his train in his new sealskin fur coat when a stranger came up to him and said, in good German, I'm sure you're Scandinavian as only people from there wear sealskin furs. Frederick admitted that he was, and they strolled along without presenting themselves. Uh, but it turned out that they were both in the iron and steel business. Finally, the stranger, a man called Deuce from Norway, asked Frederick if he knew whether Jørgensen had got his factory running yet. Frederick answered, yes, and my name is Jørgensen. You can imagine the look of Du's face when he heard that. Actually, I think that's quite funny. Yeah, absolutely. Du's became Frederick's main agent in Germany, which he was until he died. In fact, Du's granddaughter even married Frederick's grandson, Karl Fredrik, who was managing director of Sandviken's Ironworks between 1920 and 1948. Yeah. But getting back to the 1860s, Sales to the different markets varied quite a bit too at that time. Uh, sometimes the biggest market was England, sometimes France or Germany, sometimes Russia, which for a period was Frederick's most important market for the wheel rings. How did they manage from a quality point of view? Well, the quality of the products varied. As we talked about with the Bessemer process last time, they had no measuring instruments and full control of the manufacturing process was very difficult to achieve. So the quality of the basic steel varied, which of course influenced the finished product. Frederick had experimented for a whole year before production was in full swing and he learned a lot. He had a workshop which was off limit to all but a few trusted people. But despite that, in some cases, external factors caused big problems. Huge variations in the outside temperature in Russia, for example, caused many failures and many rings were sent back to Sandviken. But the Sandviken steel rings were usually able to withstand these extremes better than the competition. Yeah, and other products also looked promising, like the billets for cannons, which were drilled in the town of Finspong, further south. But as the wheel ring business grew, the business for cannon billets shrank, not least because of varying quality, and there were a lot of complaints. Uh, other military products like rifle barrels and armour plating were tried too. But most importantly, at that time there were complex financial problems, and Frederick came to rely more and more on his business associate in London, Pontus Clearman, who managed to arrange several short credits for the company. Mm. 
Without those, he couldn't keep the factory operating at all. Time was running out for Frederick and he needed to find a different solutions for the company. Yeah, and we'll be digging into that in the next podcast. Both the Herbal Company and most importantly, Frederick personally went bankrupt. And Frederick had to find a way around that catastrophic situation. So, thanks Karina, and until next time. Thank you, Phil. <laughs>